Hello and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Daniel Ramey. Today is the third episode in our three-part series that celebrates the 70th anniversary of RFF. For this episode, we look to the future of RFF, as seen through the eyes of our talented and dedicated research analysts and associates. RFF's RAs are essential to all of the research we do. They gather and analyze data, review literature, help write papers and reports, and do it all with dedication and enthusiasm. In today's conversation, I'll talk with research analysts Emily Joyner, Sophie Pesek, Nicholas Roy, Stephen Whitkin, and Senior Research Associate and GIS Coordinator Alex Thompson. I'll ask them how they got interested in environmental research, but mostly focus on the future. What topics do they think RFF scholars will be working on in 20 or 30 years, and what role do they see for themselves in that future? Today's episode is really fun, so stay with us. Where did you grow up, and have you always been interested in environmental issues? My name is Emily Joyner, and I'm a research analyst at RFF. Yeah, so I grew up in the suburbs of Phoenix, Arizona, um, and from a young age, I felt <laughs> a moral obligation, I should say, to work on environmental issues and um, anthropocentric way, I guess, and being interested in the way that environmental issues affect people from, you know, the time I took an economics class in high school and learned about the uh, new concept of sustainability to me then. Um, it was uh, immediately, I guess, uh, a path that I saw that would be um, rewarding. <laughs> Do you think that interest was connected to the place where you grew up and the environment? Um, slightly. I mean, of course, Phoenix is a... Uh, Famously, many people call it a testament to man's hubris because of the heat and the required air conditioning. And I think as I grew older and became more and more aware of the world, I became more and more aware of Arizona in general's uh, extenuating circumstances in regard to water, in regard to, um, I guess, just sprawl as well. Um, and so I, I think that definitely was in the back of my mind throughout my undergrad experience, especially kind of culminating. I did like a undergraduate thesis on uh, golf courses, on golf course adonics, looking at golf course adjacent properties. But um, where I grew up, Maricopa County has the most golf courses of any county in America. So my name is Nick Roy, and I'm a research analyst at RFF. Yeah, I grew up in Sacramento, California. And obviously, California a, has a lot of environmental issues all around, droughts, fires, um, but also a lot of really beautiful places to go. You know, you got the Sierras, the Redwoods, and uh, the ocean. Um, and so I think growing up, I didn't really realize I was, I guess I took it all for granted. And then, yeah, you see fires and things like that, and you get sad about it. But I didn't really realize it was a global issue until, I don't know, like high school or something. And then so I started to get more interested in environmental issues in college. And resources for the future is environmental economics in general became a pretty good avenue for me to look at that sort of as objectively, I guess, as you could from a policy perspective. My name is Alexandra Thompson. I'm a senior research associate and the GIS coordinator at RFF, which stands for Geographic Information Systems. 
So I grew up in uh, rural suburban New Jersey, northern New Jersey, and I think I was always interested in environmental topics, but I, I didn't know it because I was, I was very fortunate to grow up in a place where I had access to outdoors and spent a lot of quality time outdoors. And by the time I got to college, it just I was drawn to it naturally. Hi, my name is Sophie, and I'm a research analyst at RFF. I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I definitely always liked nature, but I think things really clicked for me in sixth grade when I took my first environmental science class. And I have really fond memories of going out to the backyard, looking up at the stars, and trying to come up with a scientific explanation for how the moon cycle worked. So it was just a very cool experience with getting to kind of look at the world around you and try to come up with an explanation for it. So I really enjoyed that. And I think, yeah, environmental science in general can sometimes get a bit of a bad rep for maybe being less rigorous than chemistry or physics. But what I really like about it is you have to understand all of those other disciplines in order to work in environmental science. So in college, I want to study environmental engineering because it seemed really applied and solutions oriented. But I think even though I really enjoyed it and actually worked at a water sensor startup for a bit after graduating, I began to think that the main issues with environmental policy in the world today were less about new technology and more about coming up with actionable policy solutions. So that's kind of how I found my way to RFF. I am Stephen Witkin. I am a research analyst here at RFF. So I grew up uh, in Maryland. I've um, lived in Maryland um, ever since. And I can't say I was more interested than the average you know, young person in environmental issues until I got to college. Um, I, I actually avoided taking environmental science in high school. Um, but in college, I took a class and really went into some of the, the systems of the environment and how a lot of things affect each other. And I think that really got me interested. And I, I kept on looking into those environmental systems. That's great. When you think back on your time at RFF to date, are there any experiences that stand out as being particularly rewarding or important? They might be papers or projects or events or social experiences you've had. Anything that comes to mind as a real highlight? I think mostly just uh, the collaborations in the research domain, especially you know working meetings, sitting down to solve problems together. Um, it's really great that at RFF, we all have the same mission. We're all on the same page. We're all trying to be as objective as possible and practical as possible. I've been working with uh, Rebecca Panchin Neal for many years on this project on saltwater intrusion in the Chesapeake Bay. And I just think we're putting together a really great novel data set and coming up with really interesting approaches to look at the issue of saltwater intrusion and how it affects farmers in particular and what that means for policy going forward. Well, in general at RFF, I think that the community we have here, especially among the uh, RAs and the comms team now, we are all really close and we hang out outside of work and that's really fun. Um, so that's an overall rewarding experience. But um, project-wise, working on the federal climate policy work with Kevin, um, Dallas, and uh, Josh, and Karen, and a couple other fellows last year was really cool because I... I think I, when I came to D.C., I was a little bit skeptical about the political process in general, which is why I wasn't in politics, just more in policy work. And working with, you know, occasionally, like, Hill staffers and helping them, you know, 
see what the policies they're proposing could lead to and hearing how responsive they were to research and really how technically minded they were gave me a lot more optimism for the policy process. Um, so that, that was a really cool process. And I think uh, I definitely carry that with me um, with everything I do now. Yeah. And as far as a specific project, um, I, one of the first things I was brought on to do was look at the EPA's use of the value of statistical life which is a really crucial number for cost-benefit analysis that basically is the value of how much would people pay for a, a mortality risk reduction. And I think that uh, doing so much reading on that really led to a lot of enlightenment about how cost-benefit analysis works and um, how that whole system is in place. So it's a great experience. It's really hard to pick one. I will never forget on my first day of work, Daniel, you sent me an email that said, Hey, Sophie, I'm glad you're starting. By the way, we're working on a report that we hopefully have to have done by the end of today uh, at the request of members of Congress. And so I got to see on day one that there's a lot of impact that RFF can have. And so that was crazy to get to see the research being applied right away from my very first day of work. But I also had a really unique experience because of COVID where the summer I moved to DC, I got to come into the office regularly but at that point, it was sort of elective, so it ended up being a lot of junior staff coming in. And that was a pretty special time because I got to talk with my peers and really learn about their research and see just how engaged and passionate they were, um, all with other research analysts. So that was a great time, um, although I was, of course, happy when more senior fellows started coming in and I got to um, start being mentored a bit more, not just with all the environmental economics that everyone has, but also with the just amazing people that everyone is at RFF. The things that I'll remember the most and what I think has been really great has been as we're getting back into going to the office, the group of you know young researchers here and people are just really great. Had a lot of good experiences with the other RAs here. They're really supportive and good group. Um, they're all really bright, and they're one of the great things about RFF. So um, thinking big picture now, I'm going to ask you an impossible question, which is if you think out into the future, 20, 25, 30 years into the future, what types of topics do you think researchers like those at RFF will be working on? It might be you working on these topics. Well, ideally, <laughs> uh, more like resource management issues than decarbonization ones, because hopefully we've decarbonized a lot. Um, that might be too optimistic. <laughs> I think that's something I have come to realize even more while I've been at RFF is that something that's really important to solving um, a lot of really tricky issues is trying to use less. Use less resources, use less electricity in buildings, um, produce food with less. Um, all those things really interest me, and I think that that will probably influence where I go going forward, figuring out how to keep doing what we're doing, but smarter and, and with using less resources. So currently what my research at RFF is, is related to both climate impacts, which is sort of what happens to jobs when they're flooding or health when there's weather volatility, while also more things on the just transition, which is what happens to communities uh, that rely on fossil fuel as we transition to clean energy. So that sort of dichotomy is something that I'm definitely interested in exploring in the future, uh, kind of looking at how can we take steps to protect the natural world while making sure no one gets left behind while we're doing it. 
So I'm definitely interested in applying that to the international scale and thinking about how people in the most disadvantaged places can um, really have a chance to develop and experience all the important things that are necessary human rights, like clean water, clean air, while making sure that um, they have the best economic opportunities they can have. 20 years ahead, the problems we're facing are only going to be more intensified, particularly thinking about water and food. One issue that um, I've really been paying attention to in the news is the heat wave in India right now and how that has jeopardized a lot of crop yields, which are already sort of in flux due to um, the war in Ukraine as well. And so thinking about how that's going to disrupt global food supply, I think situations like that will just get more and more common. So I think 20 years down the line, there may be more of a focus on food, food trade, um, agricultural adaptation, and um, managing water. So I could see, obviously, electricity will always be there, you know, food, water, energy, nexus. Um, so I, I, I can see those becoming more intensified fields of, of research, whereas what I do right now, which is a lot of non-market valuation, which is a lot of getting values for cost-benefit analysis, that might not be as imperative. I think that all environmental research and environmental policy questions will basically revolve around two issues. Uh, the first is climate change. The second is environmental justice. And I think that's appropriate. And I think whether it's wildlife, coastal hazards, carbon mitigation, uh, climate change adaptation, it will all be around climate change and environmental justice. And that will be the lens through which we uh, address those. Yeah. I feel like we're moving in that direction now, but we're not, not everyone's quite there yet. <laughs> okay, last substantive question. So when you imagine yourself in the future uh, doing work, do you imagine yourself uh, being a researcher, continuing to look into these issues in depth? Do you imagine yourself as a policymaker, as an advocate, as an uh, entrepreneur, or something else? I have a feeling that I wouldn't want to just go into a prescriptive role or purely a research role without going out and experiencing some of the issues that we're actually facing and what are the actual roadblocks that, you know, industry and communities face in that. So I think that my path will lead me towards getting some of that direct experience. And then maybe after experiencing those roadblocks, maybe back to, you know, researching more about it. Um, but I think I want to, um, be, you know, directly involved, a, a doer, and, and try to come up with, with solutions that will, you know, be practical and used. But yeah, I mean, I think that that's really satisfying, you know, implementing these these uh, good practices that we want to see everywhere, um, even if it's just in one small place. Something that I think I didn't know really existed until working at RFF or until knowing about RFF was the sort of university fellows who teach, do their own research, but also work with policy and decision makers. And I think something like that is sort of like the dream where you, you know, you get to work with the next generation of um, researchers or students or whoever might be going into the private sector um, and talk to them about the things that you learn and research while also doing your own independent research and um, advancing the field that you studied and also talking to policymakers about how they can use that research to develop new policies that can help achieve their goals. So uh, I think something like that or would be ideal, but you know, that's kind of a, it's a dream job. <laughs> so, yeah, well, 
uh, it's a dream job getting to work with with you and and all of the RAs here at Artifact because you're so committed and intelligent and dedicated and caring and fun to be around. So it's really our pleasure to to get to work with you. I definitely see my role as more of a researcher, but I would love to interface with policymakers and business people all the time. I think a specific thing that is really exciting to me is the idea of open source data, doing something like a distributed network of water sensors or air quality sensors that could provide all the information necessary for a community to uh, monitor the natural environment around them, which would help sort of increase their connectedness to the natural world, um, but also enable members of community who are most qualified to be the decision makers on the ground to make decisions that are best for them. So I definitely see myself as a researcher. I think that's sort of my inclination, but um, I think if I feel that my research wasn't having an impact or was sort of divorced from uh, an idea of doing good or having a, a positive outcome, I might wanna do something more um, with boots on the ground and actually uh, getting my hands dirty with something. So who knows, maybe there's a career change down the line depending on how the climate crisis shapes up. Yeah, you never know. I mean, many of the folks we interview on the podcast started off doing one thing in their career and then ended up doing something entirely different. And I'm, <laughs> you know, one of them. <laughs> uh, so it can be a lot of fun. Great. I love the term researcher because it's so broad and you can do such a wide range of activities. Uh, it can be data work, it could be writing, it could be lit reviews. Um, and so I see myself as either a, a researcher or a practitioner doing pretty much those same things, whether I'm answering policy questions or implementing policy. All right, Alex, what's on the top of your stack? Could be a book, could be a TV show, could be a podcast, just anything that you think is great and you would recommend. Uh, anything by James Michener. I guess historical fiction, mostly place-based. So it's a book called Chesapeake, uh, Alaska, Hawaii, Caribbean, big fan of all of this. They're great because they range from, like in, in Chesapeake, he covers the geologic history through indigenous people, through uh, the European settlement, through I think the 80s, which is when the book came out. So Sophie, uh, last question, what's on the top of your stack? What would you recommend to our audience that you think is really great? Could be a TV show, a book, podcast, article, anything. I'm actually just starting a, a book club with um, a bunch of uh, other graduates from my university and everyone said, what is one really fun book that has a bunch of like little climate vignettes, but also kind of is engaging to read. And I just am absolutely in love with uh, Elizabeth Colbert's Under the White Sky. That is my favorite book of the last year. So I recommended that as our first read. Emily, uh, what's at the top of your stack? I'm currently reading The Age of Revolution by Eric Hobsbawm, which is a history book. Um, I think it's uh, super enlightening if you're if you're interested in right like the American Revolution, French Revolution, uh, sort of the the spreading revolutionary spirit of the French Revolution and the Industrial Revolution and sort of how that transformed society. Um, I'm trying to read more history books. Um, another book I would recommend is uh, Rip It Up and Start Again by Simon Reynolds, which is a history of post-punk. I like post-punk music a lot, and I think 
Um, if you have any interest in that like late 70s, 80s scene where a lot of genres were coming together to make some really interesting stuff, I would check that out. Awesome. What's an example of post-punk? Like Talking Heads or something? Yeah, so that's that's kind of new wave post-punk. Um, I think classically the, the example is Joy Division. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Last question, Stephen. What is on the top of your stack? So one thing that I read recently that I'm sure a lot of listeners have also read is um, Aldo Leopold's Sand County Almanac. Um, and I just think it's really vital. And it was um, just a, a good reminder of that everything's connected in ecosystems and that you can be aware of them and be aware of how you affect them and how things around you are affecting them. So I think it's just really important to read. Part of the book is a, I guess you could say an almanac. It's a kind of natural history of the place where he lives in the sand counties of Wisconsin. And so it uses that kind of area that's experienced a transition from, you know, kind of more natural to agriculture and a little bit back again as a really good study area for, you know, how we can impact the environment and how things change over long periods of time. All right. Final, final question. Uh, what's on the top of your stack? I'm not a big TV person. And I recently watched this show called Severance, which is the, basically the premise is that if a biotech company could split it, the brain of its employees into its work brain and its human brain, and they don't have memories of either one, like what happens? And there's a lot of different ways it can go. But the show, I think, does a really good job of sort of... Um, letting you like have your own thoughts about what's going on while still having a story. And there's a lot of things about, you know, just how society organizes and how work relates to our life and how we connect and get meaning from those things. And working at somewhere like RFF where you're, it doesn't feel like you're being exploited because you like working here and like you, it's something you're passionate about. And it's not some boring job. Uh, it makes you appreciate it, but also makes you realize like where work gives you meaning in life. And I think that's something that uh, I really enjoy about that show. Thank you for the recommendation. And thank you for doing this. That thank was great. You. We're done. Thank you. Of course. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Learn how to support resources for the future at rff.org slash support. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent, nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson, with music by me, Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.